uh, the happiest place on earth. I don't know if you've heard of it, if you've ever been to it, but it's what people say is the happiest place on earth. Any guesses? Disney World. That's right, Disney World. I uh, just recently went to Disney World just a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago or something. Um, I went on a vacation with uh, my wife and her parents. It wasn't really vacation. My version of vacation is like I'm chilling at the beach, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody's bringing me a quesadilla and nachos just because I feel like it, you know what I mean? Like that's my idea of vacation. This was more of like a trip, and it was a great trip. Uh, but what was great about it was that my in-laws paid for it. What up, okay? Um, the best Disney is free Disney. And so um, we did that. It was a lot of fun. And we kind of did all three major parks. We did Epcot, Animal Kingdom, and Magic Kingdom. Now, of those three, um, Animal Kingdom was, was probably my favorite from like a, a, a rides standpoint, okay? But, but the one that was so special, and if you've ever been to Disney, you totally get this. The one that was most special to me was Magic Kingdom, okay? Not because it had the best rides, it didn't. Animal Kingdom had the best rides. Uh, the, the Avatar ride over in Pandora, I had to close my eyes a couple times because I get motion sickness, okay? That junk was way too real, okay? Uh, I did the Mount Everest roller coaster. I hate roller coasters, especially ones that go backwards. And so, um, but I just felt like, hey, my in-laws paid for it. You know, you wouldn't go into a buffet that someone paid for and not eat anything. So like, I gotta ride the rides. Even if I hate it, I'm gonna be miserable, but it's worth it. So I did that. Um, Animal Kingdom was awesome. The Tree of Life, it wasn't that big in The Lion King, but it was still tight. Uh, and so Animal Kingdom was awesome. Epcot was like, meh, you know? I'm fine if they shut that down and no one ever goes there again. You know what I'm saying? Like, Epcot is great because it like makes people not go to the other parks that you're at. Like, the best thing about Epcot was the Frozen ride, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Like I did the Frozen ride in Norway. Going into all these international cities, I don't need that, Epcot, it's fine. You know what I'm saying? So Epcot was whatever, I'll never go there again, ever. Even if my kid wants to go, I'll say no. Uh, but Magic Kingdom was unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm walking up on, the, on Main Street, if you've ever been, and the first thing you see is like Cinderella's castle. I, I, I started to get emotional, I literally, turn to Julia, I was like, this makes me want to cry. She was like, what? I'm like, you don't want to cry, you know? And I'm like, this is just bringing back my childhood. Like, it's, it's Cinderella's castle, you know? And Mickey came out, and he started doing his thing, you know? And the fairy godmother came out, and she started doing her. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're real, you know? And, and in front of Cinderella's castle, you've got like that statue of Walt Disney holding Mickey Mouse's hand, you know? And I'm like, you, both of you are legends, you know? And it's like, it's awesome. And, 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 and the rides aren't that great, but they take you back to your childhood. You know, I'm riding the Peter Pan ride and I'm loving it, even though it was probably built 25 years ago, you know, and everything about it, I'm seeing all these characters. I saw Pluto, I saw Goofy. I'm like, my gosh, I love you, oh my gosh, you know? And, and then the park near the end, like at once, you know, you do dinner and all that, then at nine o'clock at night, they do the fireworks show over the castle. Guys, I mean, it was unbelievable. I don't know if you've seen it, I mean, it's crazy. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm not exaggerating. At least top five. Like literally, you've got Cinderella's castle. They turn that somehow into like this projector screen and they project stuff on it. And then fireworks are going all over for 20 minutes behind the castle. It is the definition of magical. And I remember turning to Julie, like there's literally this, I became friends with this five-year-old next to me. Like we were the same in that moment. And I remember turning to Julie and I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, it really is magical. Like, it really is the happiest place on earth. I just remember feeling so happy. And, 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 and it wasn't because it wasn't hot. It was really hot. The lines were long. And then it started raining. I wore a poncho for the first time in seven years, I think, you know. Um, the food was expensive. 
But even in the midst of all of that, there was still this happiness that I found being there. And I remember leaving that night, leaving the park that night, and I remember just thinking, man, I wish I could feel that all the time. Happiness. That's what I want to talk about for a few minutes tonight is happiness. Now, here's what I know. I'm not naive, okay? I'm not dumb. I know life isn't Cinderella's castle, okay? I get that. I know life isn't Mickey Mouse and fireworks and yada, 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 Peter Pan and all that. I get that, okay? But, but one thing that I think is true about life is that happiness tends to be really elusive sometimes. I started thinking about how often, at least in my life, and I would imagine it's true in your life, happiness can elude us. I mean, you think about the moments in your life um, where happiness seems to kind of be absent. Um, maybe um, something happens in your life, you go through a circumstance, or you make a decision that you end up regretting, and all of a sudden it kind of squashes any kind of happiness that, you ha- that happened in your life. I don't know about you, but for me, happiness tends to constantly be, or at least the default is for it to be circumstantial. Um, you know, like if I can go back to the Disney illustration, like if the lines are too long or if it's too hot or the food is too expensive or if it's raining, right? Like happiness seems to be absent. And, and when I mean happiness, I don't mean like the Chick-fil-A employee happiness, okay? If you work at Chick-fil-A, we love you, right? But there's no way you're that excited to give me an extra Polynesian sauce, okay? Um, like I don't, I, don't, I don't mean like that. We've all got that friend that's like way too chirpy and way too happy and it's like there's, you're faking. There's no way you're that happy all the time, you know? If someone uses I'm happy to answer the question, how are you, run. You know, like just, <laughs> just, just go, okay? But the kind of happiness I'm talking about is, is when you, the experience that I'm describing is when you feel like you're thriving. And we've probably all experienced moments when we're, we feel like we're thriving, where life isn't perfect but you feel like you're kind of in your sweet spot. Things aren't perfect, but they're going as well as they can be. Like, you're kind of living your best life. You're in a great season. You've got a great group of people around you. You're in a, in a unique job, or you've got a special opportunity. Things just kind of seem to be lining up. Or things aren't going great, but there's something that you're able to kind of hold on to. We've all had moments where we've experienced this happiness where we're just thriving, where we really are living our best life, even if what's happening around us isn't best. I found this um, definition of happiness on the good old internet um, from a psychology website. I think it's pretty legit. Um, But happiness, the experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. So the happiness that I'm talking about is way bigger than just an emotion. It is a state of being, a state of being where you experience joy, a state of being where you experience uh, contentment and positive well-being um, because you know that your life is good and your life has meaning and your life is worth while. This goes way beyond just the happiness that's a feeling and that can go away just because it's Tuesday, you know, or the happiness that can go away just because your roommate is annoying. No, no, this is kind of a deep-seated happiness that I'm describing. And so the thing I want to talk about tonight is, hey, what about when you're not feeling it? Like, What happens when you don't feel joy in your life? Like, what do you do when you don't feel content? What do you do when you don't feel like you've got like a positive well-being about you? What do you do when you feel like happiness consistently eludes you? Like, what do you do in life when you feel like everybody else is always happier than you are? Or how can we have a type of happiness that goes way beyond our circumstances? And that's what I wanna talk about tonight. And the good news is God, Your heavenly father 
And I'm not sure what you believe about God. I'm not sure where you are on the faith spectrum or what you think God does or doesn't want for you. But just to get everybody on the same page, I believe with all of my heart that God wants happiness for you. That God wants you to experience the type of happiness that goes way beyond the feeling and way beyond circumstances. I really believe that God wants us to experience happiness. And tonight, we're gonna talk about one way that that can happen. We're gonna be in Psalm chapter one tonight. Um, and what we're actually gonna be doing over the course of our time together this summer, we're going to be in the Psalms. We decided we're gonna pick a few Psalms this summer and we're gonna teach through them. And so we got this really creative idea to call it Summer Psalms. Um, and so that's what we're gonna be doing over the next few weeks. And I don't know if you've ever read the Psalms. They're in the Old Testament. The best way I can describe Psalms is they're like Hebrew poetry. I don't know if you grew up in a church like a Baptist church or any kind of church where there were pews and they had like hymnals, okay? Um, it's like a, a Hebrew hymnal, right? And, and what these Psalms were um, back in you know, the Old Testament times, um, they were actually like sung to a rhythm with like stringed instruments. Now don't try to sing it in English. They don't have the same rhythm as they do when you sing it in Hebrew. Um, I've actually, I've act, I'm not kidding, um, I fly to Israel somewhat regularly every couple of years because my family is from there. And I remember sitting next um, to a Jewish lady once and I heard her in Hebrew um, singing, like reciting these psalms in a rhythmic tone. It was awesome, except it was when everybody was asleep and she turned her light on, so I hated her for it. But it was fascinating to hear her sing these psalms. Um, and you gotta think about it, right? Like back, back in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have like the Old Testament. So the way that they remembered these things was by singing them. And there's tons of different kinds of psalms if you've never read them. There's like messianic psalms. They talk about the coming of Jesus. Um, there are praise psalms. It's like worship essentially. In fact, a lot of worship songs that we sing come straight out of the psalms, which is really cool. There's historical psalms that talk about the faithfulness of God. There's psalms that talk about God's character. Um, it's really, really cool. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in the Psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is that they're real. Like you read some of this stuff and it's like, David, are you allowed to say that to God? You know, they're authentic, they're vulnerable. Um, and tonight we're gonna be in Psalm chapter one. And Psalm one is a wisdom Psalm, a wisdom Psalm. And here's what I love about wisdom. If you've been around the living room, you've heard me say this before. Wisdom isn't about what's right or what's wrong. Wisdom is about what is best. Wisdom is about living your best Life And Psalm chapter one is a wisdom psalm and talks about this very idea of happiness. And so Psalm one, verse one says this, blessed is the one who. Now the word blessed here doesn't mean like, oh God giving you everything that you want um, him to give you, okay? Blessed actually translates in the Hebrew to literally mean, oh how very happy is the one. That's the translation. Oh how very happy is the one the one. Oh, how very content is the one. Oh, how very joy-filled is the one. Oh, how very happy is the one who does not do these three things. And the, the psalmist is going on to say, oh, how very happy is the one that does not do these three things. Oh, how very happy is the one, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So what he's gonna do, he's gonna give us three things that does not lead to your happiness or to my happiness. Oh, how very happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Um, that, that, that word step there um, can actually mean um, counsel or advice. And so essentially what the Psalms is saying here is hey, do not, do not walk in the advice of the wicked. 
Um, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, the wicked sounds like super intense and like super churchy and like God smiting people. Okay, I get it, wicked to the West. Um, but, but the wicked here just, just means this. Those who are uninterested in the ways of God. It's very simple. Those who are uninterested in following Jesus. We've all got friends that are uninterested in following Jesus. I hope you do. I hope you have friends. We should have friends that don't believe what we believe. You're never going to have influence if you don't. But what the psalmist is saying here is, hey, listen, um, a happy person, oh, how very happy is the one who does not get moral advice from or massive um, life decision advice from those who are uninterested in the ways of God. That makes sense, right? I mean, think about it. Like, if you follow Jesus, you've got a certain set of values. You've kind of got like a decision-making criteria. You've got a moral compass that someone that doesn't follow Jesus doesn't have nor should they, because they don't have the same values as you. And so what the psalmist is saying, hey, oh, how very happy is the one that does not take moral advice or seek counsel from someone who is uninterested in following Jesus. Why? Well, because happy people, happy people avoid harmful advice. That's what he's saying. Happy people avoid harmful advice. And he goes on, blessed is the one who does not. Oh, how very happy is the one who does not stand in the way that sinners take. The way here means a lifestyle. So what he's saying is, oh, how very happy is the one who, do, who does not model their lifestyle after those who are uninterested in the ways of God. Oh, how very happy is the one, how very joy-filled is the one who does not behave like or live like or make decisions like those who are uninterested in following Jesus. Again. I'm not taking a shot at people that don't believe in Jesus. But you know this, there is a, a difference in values there. That, that if you follow Jesus, and I've got friends, I had friends in college and have friends now, that we have a different moral criteria. I've got a certain set of values that I'm trying to live by, and we don't really see eye to eye on everything, and that's okay. But what the psalmist is saying here, oh, how very happy is the one who does not live like those who are uninterested in following Jesus. Why? Because you know this, happy people avoid harmful choices. That's what he's saying. Happy people, happy people avoid harmful choices. And then the last one he says, oh, how very happy. Blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of mockers. A mocker is not really a word that we really use, but we all have people or have had people in our lives that maybe mock God, that's very common in the Old Testament. Goliath was mocking God. That's why David went and took care of that, you know what I'm saying? Um, but maybe we don't have people that necessarily mock God, but you maybe have had people who maybe look down on you because of what you believe. Maybe they made fun of you because of your faith. I know that sounds like such a middle school thing, but we've all experienced it, right? Um, maybe you had people that kind of laughed at the fact you decided not to do something because of what you believe. They laughed at you for not wanting to go out on Friday night or go to this party or do this thing at that party because of what you believe. Maybe you've been in a relationship where somebody shamed you because you wouldn't go as far sexually as they wanted to because of what you believe. Those are mockers of your faith. And what the psalmist is saying is, hey, Oh, how very happy is the one who does not sit in the company of those that are uninterested in helping you follow Jesus, All right? I think what he's saying here is happy people avoid harmful friendships. Happy people avoid harmful friendships. Let me be clear. I'm gonna say this so many times, you're gonna be annoyed by it. My point is not to say that we should not have friends that don't follow Jesus. I will never say that. I think that is not very biblical at all. My point is this, is that we've all got a certain crew of people in a group of people that influence our life, 
that we go to whenever we have um, decisions, big decisions. They kind of know everything about us. They're kind of like our inner circle, that we need to be careful who is in our inner circle. Like we need to be careful who is influencing us the most because all of us are capable of having friendships that can actually harm you. That we're all capable of having friendships with people who are not interested in our best interests. They are not interested in what's best for us. They are not interested in helping us follow Jesus. And so what the psalmist is saying is, oh, how very happy is the one who avoids harmful advice, who avoids harmful choices, and who avoids harmful friendships. If I could kind of sum it up, it's saying, hey, listen, oh, how very happy is the one who does not believe like, who doesn't behave like, and who does not belong to those who are uninterested in the ways of God. Now, come on, this does not take a lot of convincing, though, right? I mean, come on, think about it. Harmful advice and harmful choices and harmful friendships, there is no way that's going to lead to any kind of happiness in your life or in mine. It's certainly not going to lead to your best possible life, and it's certainly not going to lead to God's best for your life and you reaching your fullest potential that God has for you. No, what harmful advice and harmful choices and harmful friendships will do is lead to a lot of regret. They'll lead to a lot of pain. They'll lead to a lot of drama. lead to a lot of broken relationships. They'll lead to a lot of um, hurt relationships. lead to a, a loss of influence. And so the psalmist says, oh, how very happy is the one that does not do those things, who avoids those things. And then he says, but, goes on in verse two, oh, how very happy is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Oh, how very happy is the one who delights in the word of God and who meditates on the word of God. The word delights is a matter of the heart and meditates is a matter of the mind. To delight in something, to delight in something is to see the value in it. To delight in something is to see the beauty of it. But isn't it so true, if we could just be real for a moment, that when you think about, for those of you that are Jesus followers in the room and and you've tried to study your Bible and have quiet times and have your devotion, how often does studying the word of God isn't something that we necessarily delight in? Have you ever had moments where you're like, oh, I haven't read my Bible in a week. What's one more, you know? Or, or, or you're, you're, you're like trying to get in a rhythm of reading the Bible and studying the word and it feels like a chore. It feels like a checkbox. It feels like something that you have to do. It's really difficult to delight in something that we don't see value in. See, I know that it's true for me, so I would imagine it's probably true for you. The tendency for us is to not delight in the word of God, but to see it as something that we have to do. I have to read my Bible. I have to memorize scripture. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. It's difficult to delight in things that you have to do. But what if we started seeing it as something that we get to do? What if it wasn't something that we have to do because God is up there ready to get mad at us if we don't? But what if we had a perspective change? And what if we we just kind of pause to remember for just a moment that the God of the universe that created all that we see and created all that we are desires a relationship with us? And so what if studying the word of God wasn't a matter of I have to, but I get to? What if taking just a few moments out of your day to connect with God and to study his word wasn't a matter of I have to, but hey, I get to. That for some of us, just a perspective change can begin to change whether or not we delight in the word of God. 
So he says, hey, oh, how very happy is the one who doesn't see the word of God as, as studying as someone that, as, excuse me, oh, how very happy is the one who doesn't see studying the word of God as something that I have to do, but something that I get to do, I delight in, and who meditates on it day and night, to meditate on it, to internalize it, to memorize it, to chew on it. Think about your mind chewing something. What digestion is to the body, meditation is to the mind. What digestion is to the body, meditation is to the mind. That when you digest food, right, um, it, 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 it takes out what is waste, it, it spreads the nutrients to your body, that as you meditate on scripture, it's not just something you read because you have to and you throw it aside, you, you, you live in a verse, you meditate on a passage, you try to figure out what God is trying to say to you through it. How is it going to change and impact your life? So the psalmist is saying, oh, how very happy is the one who, who delights in and meditates on the word of God. And whenever the mind and the heart are in sync like that, it is a powerful combination for your life and for your faith and for your relationship with your heavenly father. And the person that does that, the psalmist says, the person that does that is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. In this analogy, we are the tree and the word of God is the water. In the imagery here, right, you know this, right? A tree is going to soak up the water. The tree will then grow strong and the tree will eventually bear leaves. The, the tree will eventually bear fruit. And that's the picture for you and for me that as roots soak up water and grow strong and bear fruit. As we soak up the word of God, we will grow strong and we will bear fruit. That as we soak up the word of God, the Holy Spirit that lives in you will produce fruit. That as you soak up the word of God, guess what? Your life will produce love. That, 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 that as, as, as you soak up the word of God, the Holy Spirit will work in you and your life will produce patience. That as you soak up the word of God, the Holy Spirit that lives in you will produce kindness and gentleness and joy and peace and self-control. That as you soak up the word of God, um, your faith will grow stronger. Your knowledge of God will grow deeper. As you soak up the word of God, you will grow wiser in your decision making. Now, call me crazy, but when I think about a happy life, I think about a lot of those fruits that are born out of soaking up the word of God. That when you soak up the word of God, come on, how many of your relationships would be better and healthier if we all exhibited the kind of love that says, I put you first and me second? Oof, that'll change your dating life. Hello, you listening now? Um, like, what, what, would, what would your life look like if we soaked up the word of God and joy was produced in your life? You know what joy is? Joy is deep-seated where no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are facing, you have this inner joy that cannot be touched because you know Jesus is bigger than anything that you face. That even with joy, that you can be sad on the outside and you can be distraught on the outside, but you can move strong because you've got an inner joy. Could you imagine your life, if we soaked up the word of God and our life produced joy, what about peace? You know what peace is? Peace is an inner quiet trust in God. How much happier we might be if no matter what we face, we soaked up the word of God so that we would have this inner quiet trust in God no matter what we go through. How about patience? I don't know about you, I'd be a much happier person if, if my life produced more patience. 
I would get way less angry on the road. I'd say way less words that a pastor should never say. Um, I would get less frustrated in line at a grocery store. I mean, think about this. Like, I, I get mad at my phone when it doesn't load something fast enough. Like, imagine how much more happiness you would experience if you soaked up the word of God and it produced in you just more patience with people and with the world. How about self-control? Just think about it for just a second. How many decisions you wouldn't have made if you had just a little bit more self-control? How many things you would regret less if you had just a little bit more self-control? Maybe it's just me, but I can tell you so many things that would have led to way more happiness in my life if I had just a little bit more self-control. And so as you soak up the word of God, it will produce these fruit in your life, these rich fruit in your life and in mine. And so what he's saying, if I could kind of sum it up, hey, that we should avoid these harmful advice, harmful, harmful choices, and harmful friendships, and instead soak up the word of God and allow it to produce rich fruit in your life and in mine. And this is how he closes out the psalm, verse four. He said, but this is not so with the wicked. That imagery is not true of those who are uninterested in the ways of God, who are not soaking up the word of God. They are like chaff, and the wind blows them away. Um, we don't really talk about chaff but just to give you a quick history lesson, like before they made bread the way that they make it today with machines and stuff, they would have to harvest the wheat. And so wheat has kind of two parts. It's got the edible wheat and the inedible, inedible, unedible, something that you don't eat chaff, okay? And so what they would do is to, to separate the two, they would be in this big open field and they would throw it up. It was called a threshing floor. They would throw it up and the wind would um, pull away the lighter chaff that wasn't helpful and the heavier wheat that they would harvest would then drop down. So the chaff is something that is easily blown away. So rather than being somebody who soaks up the word of God and is rooted and is strong and it is growing and is producing fruit, the person that is uninterested in the ways of God is likened to somebody who is easily blown away by the wind who is just willing to do what everybody else is doing just because everybody else is doing it, has no firm foundation and probably doesn't experience as much happiness as they could. And so he says, therefore, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. For the Lord, for, for your heavenly Father, he is before you, he is beside you, and he is behind you. He watches over those who are trying to walk in his ways, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That those who are uninterested in the ways of God, if they're continually making decisions based on what they think is best, it never leads to anything good. I know that firsthand. When I'm making decisions out of what Samer wants, when I'm living my life based on my own expectations and what I think is best, I'm always gonna be disappointed. I'm gonna hurt people. I'm gonna make terrible decisions. But I'm living my best life when I'm able to soak up the word of God and when I'm seeking to live the way that Jesus would have me live. My relationships are healthier. My leadership is healthier. My marriage is healthier. I'm a better son. I'm a better friend. And so it's like the psalmist here has kind of given us two directions. It's, hey, like, we can live our lives seeking and living according to those or according to the way of those who are uninterested in the ways of God. Or instead, we could live our lives, we could spend our time soaking up the word of God and through that producing rich fruit in 
our lives. And here's kind of what's so cool about this is that you soak up the word of God to walk in the ways of God. It's a cool thought. That, that as, you, as you soak up the word of God, you will begin to walk in the ways of God. That as you soak up the word of God, you will learn to walk more in the ways of God. It's a process. But as you soak up the word of God, literally the Holy Spirit begins to change you little by little and you'll look like Jesus a little bit more every day. So soak up the word of God to walk in the ways of God. And those fruit that give you life and give those around you, life will begin to produce happiness that isn't determined by anything on the outside, but all that God is doing on the inside. And so here's what I want you to do. What might it look like this summer to soak up the word of God? Like, what might it look like? And so I want to give you kind of a a three-step process. It's super simple. In fact, a lot of y'all probably heard this before. If you're taking notes, you're going to love this. And if you're not, you're going to love it because it's really easy to remember. Here's a three-step process that you can try this summer. You could try tonight. You can start tomorrow to begin to more consistently seek to soak up the word of God so that you can be the oh-so-happy one who did. And it's this. I want you to pick a time. I want you to pick a place. And I want you to pick a plan. So simple. But this changed my life in college. It's still something that I try to do today. Pick a time, pick a place, and pick a plan. Pick a time. Like, when is the best time for you to spend time studying God's word? And studying sounds so studious, okay? Um, but, But what's the best time for you to spend time digging into God's word? Like, when's the best time for you? I've had people say, oh, man, I'm just not a morning person. Who cares? Morning people aren't more spiritual than everybody else. Some of y'all are in such a bad mood in the morning that God doesn't even want to talk to you in the morning. So don't. You don't have to do it in the morning. It can be at night. It can be in the afternoon. It can be after work. It can be before you go into work. Like you just need, you don't need to give God your morning time. You need to give God your best time. So this summer, this summer, when maybe things are a little bit slower or maybe, um, you know, you've got kind of these three months and you've got a routine that's going to be set, give God your best time. Pick a time when you can disconnect. Give God your best time. And I want you to pick a place. Like, I want you to find your spot. And y'all know what I'm talking about. We've got a spot for everything. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I get upset when I don't get the same seat in meetings that happen every single week. Like, it just bothers me. It irks me. You've all got a spot, right? Find your spot. Like maybe it's a couch, you know, somewhere in your living room. Maybe it's a coffee shop. Maybe you've got summer classes and there's this bench right outside of the building that you have class on and you're always there a little bit early and you could just take 10 minutes, chill right there and read a little bit, right? Like find your spot. Don't like get all weird and like go into the closet and light candles and stuff, okay? That's dangerous and just not cool. Don't do that, okay? You roommates will not like you. Um, They'll never talk to you again. I wouldn't, um, but like... Where's your spot? Like, find a spot. I'm like, this, this is where I'm going to spend time with God every single day, right here. I'm, I'm just, right here, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, right here. This is, this is my spot. I'm gonna put the Netflix away. I'm gonna put the Instagram down for just a moment, and this is gonna be my spot. And then I want you to pick a plan. Isn't it so true? Um, at least this is true for me. When I don't have a plan, which is kind of open-ended, I'm way more likely to quit. If you've never studied the Bible, it's kind of intimidating. Like, where do you start? 
How do you know if you did it right? Like, where do you, where do you go? But whenever you have a plan, whenever it's structured, whenever you know when it might end, you're way, 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 way more likely to follow through. So I want you to pick a plan. Don't just say, okay, I'm just gonna open up the Bible and God, that's what you wanna say to me today. Don't do that. That's not helpful. Pick a plan. Maybe this summer you pick a gospel. You're like, you know what? Every day this summer, I'm just gonna read a little bit of the gospel of Mark about the life of Jesus until I finish it. I might not get through a whole chapter in one sitting. You don't have to. That's a lie that I believe all the time. I'm like, oh, if I don't get through a whole chapter, then God hates me, right? Maybe it's just a few verses. Maybe it's just pick a gospel. Maybe, maybe you're gonna pick a psalm every single day and you're just gonna read one. Most of them are pretty short. So you get the psalm, I think, what, 150? Like it's long, it'll take you four days to read that one. Not kidding, look it up. Um, but, but most Psalms you can finish in just a few minutes. Maybe you go to the YouVersion Bible app, they've got plans on there that tell you what to read each day and it's got a cool little devotional and you can highlight on your phone, you know, if you don't like books. Um, but maybe you pick one of those plans. Get creative, get creative. Maybe you're not the kind of person who likes to sit there with a Bible and a journal and a coffee and put it on Instagram. Like that not, might not be you, right? Maybe you're like super artistic. I've got friends that like love to draw and so they'll read one verse or read a passage and then draw whatever God is speaking to them about that passage. Guess what, if you're artistic and God made you that way, he wants to connect with you that way. So get creative. Um, sometimes I don't even open my Bible. I have these three by five note cards that I put memory verses on. And whenever I come across a verse that I like, I put it on a note card so I don't forget it. Sometimes when I don't feel like opening my Bible, I'll just flip through my note cards. And I'm connecting with my heavenly. There's nothing special about the pages, people. It's okay. Go through your note card. Take your note cards with you somewhere. Maybe, maybe you want to do it in community. That's a cool thought. Maybe you've got some friends, and this summer you want to get together once a week. You want to get together twice a month, and you want to work through a book together. You want to soak up the word of God together. But there's no rules. There's no set amount of time. But your heavenly father wants to connect with you. And as you soak up the word of God, you'll begin to walk in the ways of God. And in your life will be unleashed this happiness that is not dependent on your circumstances. That, 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 that as you soak it up and walk in the ways of God, it'll unleash health relationally and influence that has more to do with who God is in you and through you than anything else. And if I could go back to that Disney World thing, you know, it doesn't matter if the lines are long. Like, it doesn't matter if it's really hot or if it's raining. It doesn't matter if the food's really expensive. You can still experience happiness. That definition of happiness that we said at the beginning. The experience of joy, contentment, and positive well-being because your life is meaningful, good, and worthwhile. Well, I really believe that as you soak up the word of God, I think that definition will become true of you, but it'll change a little bit. As we seek to soak up the word of God, you'll experience joy and contentment and positive well-being. But because you believe and know that God is good, that your life is meaningful, and that following Jesus is worthwhile. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you for giving us your word. Um, and thank you that you are good. And thank you um, that you knew that us living life the way that we want it 
wasn't going to lead to our best life. You knew that. And you knew that our own expectations were going to create nothing but disappointment. You knew that us wanting to seek our own ways was going to lead us to destruction. But you knew that, which is why you gave us another way. You gave us the way right behind Jesus. You gave us your word to teach us, to encourage us, to remind us that you're good, to remind us that you are with us, and to remind us that you deserve to be king. King of our hearts, the king of our lives. And so Father, I pray that this summer, maybe you would stir up something special in the lives of everybody in this room, and that we would be able to see your word differently. We'd be able to delight in your word fruitfully and meditate on it in a way that begins to change every bit of who we are. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray.